Hello, good morning. Uh, I'm Pastor Raul, and I have the privilege of reading our scripture and typing in my password at the same time. Uh, I think it's true. You can't think two thoughts at the same time. Okay, so before I get into reading today's scripture, I want us, you are going to be a part of the sermon today, okay? So you have a really important line, and it is this, it is possible. It is possible. So I'm going to ask you questions throughout the sermon, and you're going to help fill it out. And it's going to be a question. I'm not going to ask you the full question here. I'm just going to, I'll just ask you the question like this. Is it possible? Let's do it again. Is it possible? Amen, it is. Okay, let's get into this. We are getting, oh, let me just read this, this before I get ahead of myself. Scripture, scripture first. Today we are hearing from Revelation, chapter 7, verses 9 through 11. After this, I looked, and there was a great crowd that no one could number. They were from every nation, tribe, people, and language. They were standing before the throne and before the Lamb, They wore white robes and held palm branches in their hands. They cried out with a loud voice, Victory belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood in a circle around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell face down before the throne and worshiped God. Today's sermon is called, It is Possible, The Restorative and Recentering Work of Jesus. So as Pastor Lydia said, we are entering into a five-week series called Restoration, Life in the Spirit Amidst Racism. This is going to be a sermon series that is predominantly focused on the book of Acts. It is going to help us see what happened in the church and the work that the Spirit did when the Spirit was given unto all flesh. After Jesus ascended, the Spirit, the same Spirit that was uh, sent upon him to empower him for his ministry is now sent upon all people who believe in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. What a powerful thing we are a part of. We are an extension of Jesus' ministry. And in the book of Acts, it chronicles what happens when the Spirit falls and the kinds of barriers that are broken down, broken down and the kind of reorienting, recentering work that the Spirit does among the people. So the booklet that you have or will get after this kind of can assist you after you come to a service and hear the word and hear the scriptures, it helps you interact with that with questions, prayers, visual, uh, you know, there's some paintings in there that you can respond to, like various things to help you and your connect groups kind of talk through what you're, what you're being presented here and what you're processing. So that hopefully will help. And then put on your calendars, November 14th, we have our annual speaker that will kind of be a, a, a collective point for the whole church, for all of Bethany, to come around and to continue to press into this work of the church, right? 
Because what's really interesting is that this is, I, I don't know if you've been living out there in society recently, but this is kind of a triggering topic, right? Even having that word racism in the title of our sermon series can bring up all kinds of feelings, fear, uh, a, a thought of your own position, an anger at your enemy's position, you know, there's all kinds, and then what is the church going to say? What is the church actually, where is the church going to fall? Left, right, center, what are we, where are we going to be? I'm sure it is uh, anxiety-provoking for some, and uh, making you wonder where we're going to go with this whole thing. That's why we are focusing on another word and another direction in which to talk about this, uh, to talk about sin, evil, racism in the church. And that word is restoration. Restoration. Because that's ultimately the work that God is trying to do among us. So what is restoration? Restoration is returning to I'll say it this way, returning a person, place, or thing to an original owner. Returning a person, place, or thing to an original owner. That is restoration. And interestingly, the work that God, the restorative work that God is trying to do is to return, is to be the person that returns to God's self the thing. And that thing is us. God is about the work of restoring to God's self us. And ultimately, restoring creation to itself as well. So God is in the midst of us and the world, the midst of us and other people, in the midst of us being restored to God. That is the work. And not just the, not just salvation. I know in the evangelical church, we talk a lot about Sin and forgiveness, as if that is all that God is interested in. That is just the beginning. God is all about restoring the fully human and divine aspects of who you are to God's self. And that is why racism is a sin. Because racism in and of itself is all about dehumanization. In both ways. Because racism might say that some are less than human. And racism would say that some are more than human. Okay? This in of itself is a sin because it goes against the image of God in each one of us. This is the... Racism is like the only sin that I have to convince people is like actually a sin, right? <laughs> We're not arguing about greed. We're not arguing about, is it wrong to cheat on your spouse? We're not arguing about, you know, it, it, can, you, can you be gluttonous? Can you be, can you be hate-filled? Like, no, like, we're not arguing about those things. For some reason, this is like the only one where it's like there needs to be some kind of convincing presentation that it is a sin, that it is wrong, and it's really because we've kind of accepted something that I think is well articulated by Daniel Hill, the narrative of racial difference. The narrative of racial difference essentially says one side of the spectrum is good, 
down to the other side of the spectrum is bad, and anywhere you find yourself on that spectrum is where you find your value, right? And this is something where we're so, the narrative of racial difference actually gives somewhat of an explanation about how the world works. You know, why some people are better, why some people are worse. It, it gives us kind of a framework to look through and to, and to kind of see the world and see why it's bad or why it's, why it's good in some places. And we're ready to receive it. We're ready to receive this narrative because it helps us kind of make sense of the world. And the bad news for us is that we have received this false vision of the world and it's shaped our appetites. It's shaped our appetites for who, will be in, who we will be in relationship with, which usually leads to homogeneous and hedonistic ends. It leads to this kind of singularness that kind of goes over the edge. That's the bad news for us, right? MLK said 60 plus years ago now that Sunday morning from 11 to 12 is the most segregated hour of the week. And the Pew reports, it's kind of, it's a scathing (laughs) observation. I feel like I'm like breathing into the mic for you guys. How's that? That's better. It's this scathing observation But the Pew Reports, that does research with the church and such, has shown that it hasn't improved much over the 60 years since he said that. More interesting points about this. Science has proven that we make friends with people that smell like us. (laughs) This is crazy. Okay, check this out. Researchers from the Wiseman Institute of Science believe the closer in smell you are to one another, is more likely that you will become friends with that person. Smells. Okay, check this out. This one's good too. Science has also linked the energy emitted from our hearts, because our hearts emit electromagnetic pulse, news to me. Uh, and if someone shares a similar electromagnetic pulse or something with us, then we will likely feel safe with that person. So HeartMath has studied this, and they show that this this powerful electromagnetic field can be detected and measured several feet away from a person's body. So as we have similar heart magnetic pulses and similar stenches, apparently we will become friends and feel safe with people who have the similar things, right? Very interesting. This is science, people. We can believe science. So if we can believe science, then anybody we feel we can be friends with, anybody we feel we can be safe with, that has to be true. But here's something else. This is all about that MLK observation, okay? Corporations have found ways to shape your appetites, ways to shape what you like to smell, Ways to shape what you like to love, right? They've done research into this. Take, I left my iPhone down there. My iPhone, so far away from me. But literally, do you know why the iPhone is so huge? It's because they put just a level of, uh, you know, there's a learning curve to it. And you have to like push through that learning curve. But once you do, there's a huge benefit for you, right? And there's, there, there's a bit of mystery to it. There's a bit of like, oh, I can be my own individual self with it, right? Like, even though it's like 
the same box for everybody. You can put your own cover on it. People like that, individualized. And there was just a touch of hedonism to it. This is literally a part of some of this corporate think about how to get you to love products. Is that you can privately get into all the stuff, dig into all those kind of quiet appetites that you have, and nobody will know. And it's just those kinds of things. We, be, we are like Pavlov's dog. That when, when a new fancy bell gets rung, we salivate for these kinds of things. Because corporations have figured out how to shape our desires, our appetites. So even though it's science that we like people that smell like us and have the same heartbeats and stuff, just imagine how easy it is for a corporation to shape what your heart wants, to shape what you like to smell, to shape what you will go after and change your life for. What is the state of our hearts where the only ones we long for are just like us? They support the ways of the way we think, the way we raise our kids, who we vote for for president. Can we really trust the energy emitted from our hearts and what we like to smell with our noses if it just leads to self-serving homogeneity? There's the scripture. Here's the good news. We're going to read it again. Revelation 7, 9 through 11. This is John, the disciple John. And he says, After this I looked, and there was a great crowd that no one could number. They were from every nation, every tribe, people, and language. They were standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They wore white robes and held palm branches in their hands. They cried out with a loud voice, Victory belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood in a circle around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell face down before the throne and worshiped God. This is the vision that God is giving us of restoration of the nations, the restoration of the people where they all come together holding palm branches of peace, unified with Christ at the center not all, not all of our appetites and our desires, not all the things that we long for in the world, not all those things, and there's certainly no circle that keeps some people out and some people in. Everybody from their place is facing towards Christ, worshiping, perhaps in different languages, but I tell you, the same tongue. The good news here is this. If corporations have the capacity, have the knowledge, have the ability to shape your appetites, just imagine and understand how much more Christ can shape our desires for his hope and vision if we will just receive it. Jesus didn't tell us to bring the kingdom of God. Jesus didn't tell us to make it or push it. He told us to receive it. And this, this scripture in Revelation, is the vision of the kingdom of God in the world. So, are you ready? This is your part. Is it possible to have our desires reshaped and recentered on Christ? It is possible. It is possible. 
How do we get there? Through intimacy, through imagination, and through vision. I'll be more specific. Intimacy with the Father. A Christian imagination. And a vision of restoration centered on Christ. So let's start with intimacy. It's an, maybe perhaps an interesting way into talking about racism. But here's what I want to say about it. This week, all of Bethany's staff took three days and went on a retreat. Might not, you know, kind of crazy, right? Like, our work week was literally Monday and half a Thursday. Like, that was a, <laughs> that's, a, that's a big sacrifice and a lot of funds and everything to get a staff out to be on retreat. But the whole focus of that retreat was this, that sin management is the short game. God is, that, that, like, God wants to forgive our sin. God wants us to accept his forgiveness for us. Like, yes, God wants that. But here's what the long game is. The long game is intimacy with the Father. That's the long game. And so the whole focus of the retreat was about a remembrance, a re-engagement of the belief and understanding that the Father wants to love us. He wants to be just spending time with us. He wants us to bring our woes. He wants us to bring our ugly thoughts. He wants us to bring all of ourselves into this relationship with him. And so as I looked at Revelation 7-11, where they all fall face down, it was, a, it, was a, it was a wonderful opportunity in one of the sessions where when we were talking about this intimacy with the Father, we were invited into a time of soaking prayer. And if you don't know what soaking prayer is, it's basically a time after uh, a, a talk, uh, something that, that you're, you're being uh, presented and shared, and having time in, with worship to just receive the Lord, in, perhaps directed with a particular thought. And it, for us, it was intimacy with the Father. And so we were invited to go wherever, sit in our chairs, go stand somewhere, or lay down and when he said, you can lay down and we're going to soak, I had this memory. So I go to the back of the room and I'm laying down, face down. And this memory came to mind of, of the church I was saved in, a Calvary church. And at that church, we would go to the front to get communion. And on our way there, people were laying on the ground or kneeling, and so you had to literally step over them to get to communion. And so I go, and I, this is probably the first few weeks after I had said yes to Christ. I go and get my communion and receive it, and then I go and lay in the aisles, and I'm worshiping and crying and praying and thanking God for all of the good things that he's done to save my life. And at the retreat, the memory was like, it was like me and God were together, third person, looking at me laying on the ground, and we were laughing and talking in my prayer language about seeing me laying there face down, remembering a time where my faith was simple, where it was a simple trust 
a gratitude, a thankfulness. I knew who I was and what God saved me out of, and I spoke with the Father in a, in a, in a joyful way about that. And it was just powerful time. So now I'm in the back of the retreat, crying and laying on the ground and frankly, being a child again. Being a child in my father's arms, letting him joke with me, love me and take care of me. And that was important and powerful because in truth, I haven't talked to the father in years. I've talked to spirit because I equate spirit with like my sister, and we're like, you know, siblings. And I talk to Jesus because Jesus is like my mom. And you know, mom's soothing and safe and caring, you know? But I hadn't talked to the Father in years. And for the first time in years, I let the Father get close to my brokenness get close to the parts of me that I don't want him to see and touch. And it's much like the art of Kintsugi. So on your booklet, you'll see this tree. And this tree is representative of the art of Kintsugi. Kintsugi is a Japanese art form where a pot, a common pot, is broken. And then that pot is mended back together in a very careful way. And then a master, only a master, comes along and paints gold all along the fractures, the the repaired fractures. And this tree is like the tree of life where we are mended back together. Right? But that is not something we think and ascend our way to. We must have an encounter with the living God. We must have an encounter, an intimate encounter with the Father of life so He can get close enough to our broken parts to actually have the time, the space to put us back together, to mend us, and use His masterful hand to apply the gold back onto our broken parts. Because the invitation is this, and this is, this is something we heard at the retreat. The invitation is to come, taste and see, not think and agree. Can I say that again? To come, taste and see, not think and agree. And we definitely are on the think and agree side as a church, right? We the invitation that is before us as we get into this whole restoration series is not to ascend somewhere so we can figure out the problem of racism. No, it's actually get to get into an intimate encounter with the living God and allow him to reveal to us just what the problem actually is in our hearts and in our community. It is the father we're looking for to actually convict us right? To actually guide us, to actually shape us and heal us. That's who we need to be in intimate relationship with. So to do that, we have to welcome the Father into the unwelcomed parts of ourselves. 
we have a lot of unwelcomed parts to ourselves, and we feel that. But let me tell you this, this was important for me to hear. You might feel ashamed of those parts, but your heavenly father is not. He is not ashamed of who you are. He just wants to know you, and he wants you to want him to know you. When we let the Father into these unwelcomed parts of ourselves, into our desires that we don't speak out loud, but we can speak them to the Father, that's where the real work begins. That's where the Father begins to reshape your imaginations for what is possible in partnership with God. In Japan, there is a town called Kamikatsu. Kamikatsu uh, is a trashless town. They have 0% waste. Zero. Isn't that crazy? Here's what one of the residents says about their town. They say, one cannot start by saying it is impossible or else it will be. If you say it is possible, then you will believe it and find a way. They didn't become a trashless town overnight. There needed to be people who, who had the conviction, formed a vision, found a way to communicate that, found a way to have the entire city agree and believe that it was possible to be trashless, to have 0% waste. Somebody had to do that over time and with a huge, huge imagination. So I'll say it this way. Your part. Is it possible to allow Jesus to remove the trash from our hearts? Oh, come on. I felt like that was weak. Is it possible to allow Jesus to remove the trash from our hearts? It, is it possible for Christ to renew our imaginations for this work? It is possible. It is possible because imagination is at the intersection of the Holy Spirit and our spirits. If we believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior, he has sent us his spirit. But many of us leave the spirit unopened in ourselves and disallow the power of the spirit to do the kind of work that feels impossible. Impossible. You know, sometimes it feels like when we pray, we have a hundred distractions, right? It feels like, what's the point? What's the purpose if my mind is going all these hundreds of different ways? Am I even connecting with God? And do, am I having a, a, like, a, like a heart-to-heart with God? Or am I just sitting here for 15 minutes thinking about all these things? A hundred distractions is a hundred opportunities for us to allow the Spirit of God to enter into any one of those matters and shape it reshape it with his holy imagination and take it into a direction that you had no idea was possible. If we would just allow the spirit of God to enlarge in our imaginations, we would see these pathways that we otherwise would not see or understand. This is at the heart of the book of Revelation, okay? Because John is a prisoner 
on the island of Patmos, right? And he's there, and you know what he could be doing? He could be freaking out, trying to find a way off this island, trying to make makeshift rafts and, you know, go all castaway, you know? But instead, he's entering into prayer. And because of that, because of that devotion and that engagement and intimacy with God, he is taken up by the Spirit and given this revelation that he writes down. We ourselves are held hostage on islands of polarity in our world right now, where if we step left or right, we're going to be destroyed. Only by prayer will God reveal a means through that many think is not possible. Not only a means of escape, but a means of restoration to our community, our relationship, and our minds. Heather Sund came up to the retreat this week marriage and family therapist, leading a beautiful practice. And she talked about a man called Dr. Kurt Thompson. Dr. Kurt Thompson is a certified board psychiatrist and a neurobiologist who explores the intersection between God and the brain. He suggests that our connection to God and to others can literally rewire our brains through practices such as being seen, soothed, being safe, and secure. These kinds of practices require great imagination and empathy to help you explore how perhaps someone you have judged, dismissed, or even harmed may need to feel seen, soothed, safe, and secure. I know this is true for me. I would suggest that such rewiring of the brain may impact the electromagnetic rhythms of our hearts and your smell, so your friend, or so you may, so your enemy may become your friend. And or perhaps Christ is just enlarged in you and your imagination for restoration begins to overshadow the narratives of cynicism in you. The gateway to restoration is the Christian imagination. To receive God's vision is to receive the kingdom of God. But if we have imaginations that are too small for the kingdom of God, how can we receive it? And this is why we need the spirit of God. Because it is only the spirit of God in us that can allow our imaginations to be as big as the kingdom of God to actually receive it and believe it is possible. That's what this vision is all about. That's what Revelation is all about. The thrust of this entire series is found here in this passage, in this Revelation's passage, with all people, tribes, tongues, and nations coming around the throne of Christ and worshiping him. It is a vision of what is possible in God as revealed by the Holy Spirit. That's why we are talking about the sin of racism in church. It's because only the church can talk about the true antidote for any evil, including racism. We cannot free ourselves from the grips of any evil. Only by the power of the Spirit of God can we be free, free from, and resist an evil such as racism. That's what intimacy with the Father and a Jesus-sized imagination can open us up to receiving. 
a spirit-filled vision of a hope-filled world. That's what we're wanting to receive as we go into this series, a spirit-filled vision for a hope-filled world. It was the Spirit of God who took John up in prayer and gave him the vision of restoration where all people in all nations and all tongues direct their worship towards Christ who is at the center of all things. And it is Christ who upon ascending to heaven sends the same Holy Spirit that empowered him for his earthly ministry. So that's where we get Acts 1.8. This is what Christ tells his disciples And what he's telling us, he says this, right before he ascends, right before their eyes, he says this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He is calling all of us through intimacy, through an enlarged imagination, through capturing the vision and believing that what is in heaven can come to earth. He's taking all of that and he's saying, I'm calling you and I'm commissioning you to be my witnesses here on earth. What you have experienced in yourselves, go and communicate to the world and tell them, I am Lord. Tell them, I am hope. Tell them you are no longer defined but what community defines you as. You are my children. Tell them and be my witnesses. Is it possible for God's vision of heaven to be our reality here on earth? It is possible. Anything is possible with God. And I tell you, this vision that is given to us isn't just for you as individuals. Everything that I've said is true about you individually. Christ, the Father wants to have an intimate relationship with you. Christ wants to enlarge in your imagination. The Spirit wants you to to capture the vision of the kingdom of God. Yes, 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 for each one of you by name. But everything that I've said about individuals is true about the corporate reality, the church It must be taken there. We can't be sitting with these realities for ourselves. They must be a reality for us, singularly, the church, corporate. Intimacy, that is worship. That is coming here, singing, not being afraid of what people on our left and our right are doing or thinking of us as we raise our hands and move a little bit. Mm. Okay? But worship is also submission. God wants us to submit our lives, to bring our lives here and to say, before we even hear what God has to say, we want to say, yes, Lord. Whatever you have to tell me, whatever you want to reveal to me, whatever you want to direct me in, yes, before I even hear it. Because you are Lord, and I want to have your vision. I'm going to invite the worship team back up. And I want to say a few more things about those other aspects, about imagination. Corporately, imagination is is praying together, letting God into those those places through words, through vision, through another's uh, words over us, envisioning what 
is possible in the world as a church. And we do this together in connect groups. As you join connect groups, as you you find a little uh, body within the body, you pray for each other, you serve each other, you eat together, you begin to imagine what life could be like working in the spirit of God and living like Christ. And that last one, restoration. Restoration corporately looks like serving together. It looks like stepping into the the missions that Pastor Lydia is arranging. It looks like finding ways to to literally uh, uh, pick up trash in our city, right? Dusty Brandon is doing this. Literally, there are ways for us to serve one another and serve the world so that we don't hold on to this vision of restoration alone. We give it away. We give it away. I'll invite the prayer team up. There's a lot here, right? Take this away. The goal and the hope is that we would let the Father God restore our hearts and lives to allow him to take out the trash in our hearts and the trash in our community that we that is holding us back from an intimate relationship with the Father. Because he wants to give you a Christ-sized imagination. He wants to give you a vision of restoration. But that's not going to happen unless you let him mend those broken cracks in you to apply masterfully the gold of him to you. So let me ask you, Is restoration possible? It is possible. possible. Let us worship.